Hey friends, welcome to the Cultivate Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Robinson, and I want to invite you to come alongside me as we hear stories, gain wisdom, and even some helpful tools from some of my friends. These are people who have experienced challenging seasons of life that have tested their faith. We can all learn from those who've dug those deep trenches and have found their way to the other side of hopelessness. So let's start digging together and cultivate hope. Hey friends, welcome back to the Cultivate Hope podcast. This week we are digging in with a more personal topic. We are going to be talking about how to find hope in our body image. One study reports that at age 13, 53% of American girls are reportedly unhappy with their bodies. This grows to 78% by the time girls reach the age of 17, while 69% of men are reportedly dissatisfied with their own bodies. Today, we have the beautiful former Miss Nebraska America and Miss Nebraska USA founder and CEO of Powerhouse Pageantry, as well as a seven-figure sales coach, Megan Rhodes, joining us to discuss why this might be so and how we can begin to see as well as treat ourselves with both love and honor. So please welcome with me to the podcast, my dear friend, Megan. Thank you so much, Sarah. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. Y'all, Sarah and I go way back, and now we are in different phases of our life. Thank you, Jesus. It's awesome, and just super glad to be here. Girl, we're so happy to have you. This is going to be so much fun. Um, But first, of course, we're going to start the podcast the same way we start every podcast. We ask everybody the same question. Megan, what is your definition of hope? My definition of hope is a bulldog faith that never gives up. You know, the Bible talks about that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, um, you know, I even know that I I've gone through like 2022 for me was not just one transitional season, but it felt like five, um, you know, preparing for marriage and changing some things up in my company and starting new ventures and things like that. And then just personally and emotionally, um, I know we're going to talk about body image. So some things in that too, and just a continual relationship with that post pageantry and things like that, becoming a wife, you know, like those questions that you ask yourself. So I can't wait to dig into all that, but yeah, I think that at the end of the day, hope for me comes from a foundation of faith, knowing that I actually do have the security of, um, when I pray, I believe my prayers come to pass. When I talk to God, I believe that he's hearing me. And, um, while I know everybody listening to this may not be a person of faith and we love you and we accept you. It is something that, kind of takes hope to the next level because it's anchored in something hope, you know, the anchor of our soul or whatever. And so, um, yeah, that, that for me gives me something to latch onto when I feel like everything else is transitioning or kind of crazy. I love that. I love the, like the bulldog. That's so good. That is so good. Cause I feel you have to almost be stubborn in your hope to keep it and to keep it growing because it's very easy for that to dwindle. And of course, everyone has seasons of you know, really strong hope and really weak hope and mountains and valleys and deserts and all of that. We go through all of that, but I love the bulldog hope because it puts the emphasis on us that we still have to pursue that. It's something we have to go after. So Megan, give us a little bit of history around your past with body image. What did that look like for you growing up? What was the language around that? Did you grow up in a household where you like that was talked about or was that just kind of like ignored? So my mom is an incredible woman. Um, she is like currently, you know, in her sixties and like stunningly beautiful. Everyone thinks she's like 40. Like, I'm not kidding. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for those genes. Um, but we, I would say that we had a, we had a, we had healthy conversations around body image. It was never the center. Like I definitely didn't have that family that was nitpicking at my body. I modeled when I was, you know, 11, I'm six feet tall for those of you guys who don't know me. Um, and so they're like, Hey, you should be a model, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're judged for your body image at a very young age. Um, I didn't really do pageants. Pageants were something that I just kind of fell into and I can tell that story later, but, um, so I'd say home life. Great. Um, but my kind of the beginning of my story, even of my professional career was I was 19. I was standing in front of my mom's mirror and I just felt totally invisible. Mm-hmm. And I hated my body. I hated myself. I had just finished my freshman year at Belmont. Yeah. 
And I felt like a very small fish in a very large pond. I was used to being the it girl. I think a lot of people who go to Belmont were like used to being it. And then I was like, oh, I didn't make Phoenix my first year, (laughs) you know, or whatever. Right. And like, you're not in the cool crew of whatever. And I'm a basketball player. And so like, I didn't really fit in with the music kids. And I tried to join a sorority and I was trying to find my worth and all these different things. And also if I can just be like really real, um, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but I feel like a lot of people that we went to school with at Belmont, the women just wanted to get their MRS degree and they didn't like think about purpose. They didn't think about their identity. They didn't think about like who's God called me to be and what has he called me to say? So I stuck out like a sore thumb. I didn't know how to communicate that of why I felt like an outsider but I spent a lot of money trying to, you know, fit in when I was born to stand out. And so, um, body image for me has been a journey. Like I said, I could talk about in for hours. So the the main points pageantry is actually something that helped me overcome my eating disorder, which I developed in my freshman year at Belmont, um, binge eating disorder, gained a bunch of weight, completely out of control. I don't really blame that on anyone or anything. I just think that that's how my personality processed hurt and pain because I, um, you know, we were raised with an understanding of about five to 10 emotions, just based off what our parents show us. And we only even know how to communicate five to 10 adjectives about emotions. And so for me, that was like happiness. My family's awesome. We're always having fun, partying, eating together, just like we're a big, happy family. And then, you know, there was like sadness at times, but there wasn't like processing emotional pain. Like we just kind of were the family that were generally happy all the time. Right. So when I was finally met with something that was beyond me and I had to invite my faith into my body image, um, I was in the word every day, you know, I was a faithful Christian, but I realized that I hadn't let God into this specific part of my life. And I, I, when I didn't have his voice in that part of my life, I, you know, in my own strength, I was completely and utterly failing. And so, um, body image is something I'm really passionate about, but I think it's tied to identity. I think it's tied to the voices that you're hearing from. And I think that it's a beautiful journey of identity. Um, because when we struggle with things like eating or, you know, control or things like that, they're just external fruit of the root problem of what's really going on. And so, I have a million more things to say about that. Obviously I've competed on TV twice in a swimsuit, you know, things like that. Um, So we can certainly talk about that journey, but I will say, ta-da, I'm like in the healthiest place ever now, you know, and it is possible to heal it a hundred percent as possible. You know, people say you're always in recovery from an eating disorder and I'm not here to argue that perspective or anything, but I think that God and and Jesus is the healer. And so he can take away emotional wounds and scars. And um, that's what he did for me where I'm not attached to that anymore. And that's something that was unfathomable 10 years ago when I hated myself, you know, standing in front of a mirror. Honestly, to hear someone say that healing is possible and that you don't have to be a slave to your body image and you don't have to be a slave to past eating disorders and things like that. Cause I feel like so many of us let that define the rest of our lives. And we're always, we get this really unhealthy relationship with food and clothes mm-hmm. and things. And we're constantly in this tug of war of like, I'm scared of it, but I love it. And it mm. makes me feel good. But I also am afraid of the outcome, you know? Yeah. Like, what, what if I lose control? And it's this tug of war of control. God took that for you, you know, in mm-hmm. a way that he, he just wrapped you up and was like, Hey, I've got this. We're going to get through this. I can actually heal you from this. Yeah. Yeah. But you message we need. Yeah. You have to be willing to partner. And again, like I know y'all are not all people of faith. I'm not judging you if you're not, but I think like a lot of times for anything in our life, like we need to partner, like we, we need community. We need expertise. Right. So for me, I was like, well, I am in a state right now where every human being on the planet makes me feel judged because I'm judging me. So like my mom, if she would say anything about what I was eating, even though she was trying to be helpful because she saw that I was hurting, I would lash out at her. I'd get snippy. I'd be like, don't talk to me about my whatever. But she saw that I was hurting. And since she's such a wonderful person, she'd try to speak into my life. So I had to come to the end of myself where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I don't have, I have no energy. You know, I found out I had like a gluten intolerance and some other things. And so I had to like break my own ego and my will and all these things to build myself back up. And I tell this to encourage people, but I'd say that the initial journey was about a year and a half because food, like literally you guys controlled my entire life. It was like, 
whether I was calorie counting or then I found macros or whatever, I would find things to validate the pain that I was going through. So like I'd go to a nutritionist and they'd be like, oh, you need to, you need to stoke your metabolism like a campfire. And so that was a validation that I needed to just eat all the time. And I was like, well, they told, I'm, I'm just stoking my metabolism like a campfire, you know? Yeah. And then if anybody would even suggest that I was overeating or anything like that or emotional eating, I would just go mental on them. Right. And so that was an underlying, um, again, fruit of some, of, of a hurt, of a pain. And what I found out was that it was feeling insignificant, feeling invisible. Um, the bullying that I had just shoved down inside from women my entire life, some spiritual abuse that I'd been through, just, you know, different things. And so when I finally brought that to the light, which takes courage and it's scary and you have to get uncomfortable, um, you have to be willing to, you know, go through the process to get to the other side of the valley, you know, like you talked about. Um, and, but it's worth it. It's worth it because then you are going to gain strategies and what you go through, you have victory and dominion over, and you have the ability to help other people go through that too, more quickly than you went through it yourself. And that ended up exploding into now my, my coaching businesses and wanting to serve people. And it also developed a heart of love for people that if you would have talked to me, Sarah, in college, I would have been like, I'm not called to one-on-one, like one-on-ones for like, ew, counseling. Like I had such a stigma just about that because I had a hardened heart because I hated myself, you know? So it's just so beautiful when, when you allow God to heal your heart, he gives you his heart, which is a love for people. And I believe a desire to make an impact. And now that's what I get to do for a living is help people, you know, make an impact and get paid to do it, which is just like the greatest job in the world. Oh, that's literally the best job in the world. That's incredible. The most rewarding job in the world. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, so I want to rewind a little bit to like, you were talking about how kind of it came to the forefront when you were about 19 and started with this eating disorder. You were standing in front of the mirror with your mom. Did you ever hear your mom say things about her, like model that, or was she like, how did that kind of look growing up? Did anyone else talk about their body negatively or, cause I find that that tends to be a trend, but mm -hmm. it's not for everybody. Sometimes yeah. it's just, you know, the inner dialogue and this, you know, pressure of culture. Yeah. I think that more so it came from, um, modeling and honestly, just like Instagram and, and just yeah. being female, like, like I think, and then certainly possibly Belmont, you know, music culture, Nashville, everybody's gorgeous. Like I remember feeling like <laughs> a complete thumb when I joined AST in my sorority, I didn't even know what a sorority was till I went to college, but I was like, right. Oh, community. Like I just desired to like, love on people and be inside of something where I, you know, when you move away from your family, you need a family. And, um, I couldn't find a home church that I really felt like I fit in all four years of Belmont. So no, I think it more so came from feeling like I didn't measure up as a singer in my sorority. Like I didn't know how to put makeup on, you know, just little things like that, where it was constantly making me compare myself. You know, I'm six feet tall and every guy at Belmont is like five foot seven and three pounds. And I was just like, you know, I was just like, not in, like, I come from like corn and beef eating world where everyone's <laughs> a giant, you know, in yes. Nebraska. So there's just so much transition. And I think we're so hard on ourselves in those moments. Mm -hmm. And then if your identity is in getting married and you have this expectation that you should be on track and here's the plan and you need to be dating somebody by sophomore year and then married coming out of college. Like if we, we need to check the things that we came into that season expecting and if we don't have the emotional tools in our toolbox to be able to adapt or the self-talk and the found, you know, the foundation of where your identity comes from, like, it's just a perfect storm. And so, um, I actually think my mom was one of the only people that were safe in that season to remind me how beautiful I was and to say, keep going for your dreams, baby girl. And like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, but I think everybody else around me, I just was like, I will never measure up. Like how, how are you so beautiful? And how, like, I just assumed everybody else's life was perfect because I was struggling. That's really hard to go through. Cause I feel like everybody felt that way, especially Belmont. I mean, everybody was looking at everybody saying, Oh, you come from this. You have these connections, you know, you look perfect. You have this image already. I don't even know who I am. So how am I going to describe, Yeah. you know, to these industry people that I want to impress who I am? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, so at what point do you feel like that started to shift? Was it while you were in pageants? Was it before? Was it a little bit after? When did that shift start for you? And what kind of dialogues were you having at that point? 
Yeah. Fantastic question. So it was right after that moment. So, um, the reason why I was standing in front of the mirror is because my mom told me to look myself in the eyes and tell myself I was beautiful. Mm. And, um, so the, I was looking myself in the eyes and I remember I could hear the enemy speaking to me and just saying like, you're worthless. Like you, you're never going to get out of the season. You're never going to amount to anything. And I was, I was so full of fear that I couldn't even look myself in the eyes. And so I just like fell to the ground and was in the fetal position for hours, just like crying. And just, that was, you know, kind of my rock bottom. And so from there, I think in that moment of facing the future or facing the present, um, you have a decision to make. And actually one of my 17 year old clients said the most full of wisdom thing I've like ever heard in my life. And we were working on her platform. I'll get back to my point. And she was like, um, we were talking about mental health and, you know, kind of these kinds of things. And she's like, well, you just need to make a decision. And I was like, well, how, how do you make decisions? Cause it's really easy to say, but how do you make decisions? Yeah. That, like, this is the last day this is going to change. And she goes, no, really? Like you just have to make a decision. And I was like, that's so oh, that's actually really true. She goes, and she goes, I, I came to this place where I realized that feeling sorry for myself and being in this place of victimhood and just like being here. I had to decide that I didn't want to be there anymore. And I think like that, that's what I did in that moment unknowingly was like, I can't stay here because the comfort zone was, we'll just keep doing what you're doing. Change is hard. Yeah. So I think it starts with a decision and then you need to create an action plan. And then I, I tried to create accountability too. Like, I think I coached my mom a little bit. Like I finally let her in on like, Hey, when you say this, this is how this makes me feel. Even though I know you have the best heart in the world. Like I need you to take six months and just not comment. Like, even if you're trying to be helpful, like I literally just need love and I need you to like gas me up 24 seven, like just, you look amazing. You are amazing. And really starting to separate who I am from what I look like too. Like here's who you are. Um, and not just validating, validating, validating everything, but I was like, what I need is love because I'm already condemning myself. I already know what I'm doing wrong. Um, but I needed to get back to like a homeostasis to even like have the energy to change, you know? And so I made a decision and it was about 18 months of daily action, some practical things that I did. I would literally, I'd have my plate of food in front of me and I would speak to it. And I would say, you don't have power over me. I feel nothing. This does not have, like, this does not make me happy or sad. It is just food. And I literally had to like practice the concept of not even getting excited about a meal because when you have an eating disorder, it's like, like I would get so excited to like taste the sugar or take, you know, like, um, and I'm just, and I'm just a very sensory person, you know, um, just my personality and whatever. And so I was, I would connect these dots and I would, I would literally speak to it because why, when you're dealing with a struggle, your struggle is speaking to you, your struggle oh, is telling you, you know what I mean? So girl, like you, you have it. to like, you have to take offense again. Like you can't just sit yeah. defensively in your life and expect it to change. And so I would speak to that thing. And it was a year and a half later, it was Thanksgiving of 2014. 2013, 2012, something like that. And I remember I looked down Thanksgiving of all days, right? Like an eating disorder, binge eating disorders, person's paradise. And I looked down at my food and I remember I was like, I feel nothing. I'm free. Oh my God. Free. Like literally I was like, I don't care if I finish this plate of food, like I'm free, you know? And, um, and then from there, I, you know, again, I found out, um, that I was having like cystic acne and I'm like a homeopath and I love that kind of stuff. So I was, I found out that gluten and dairy could cause weight gain and just inflammation and, um, mess up your hunger cues because of the sugar, you know, whatever. So I cut out gluten and dairy that led to a next thing. I lost 20 pounds in like a month and my skin cleared up. And I didn't do anything. I just was like regulating myself and getting healthy. And so my sophomore year was, or, or junior, I forget what year, it was like way different. And then I, I set a goal for myself, which was competing in Miss Nebraska, where I could use my talents. I could grow my communication skills. And I had something to fight for that was public where I needed to be at a certain level or else I would be humiliated, I guess. Right. But like yeah, that yeah. to our favor that I'm, I'm yeah. a competitive athlete and, and type of person. And so those three things together, speaking over my food, you know, and then figuring out kind of the practical things, gluten, dairy, you know, whatever 
not having a ton of acne on your face will make you a little more confident, you know, like when your face is in pain from disgusting cystic acne, when you're like, I'm an adult, I thought I was over the season. And then, um, and then, yeah, having a goal, having something to fight for, having a reason why telling the world that you're doing something, um, those things were like an amazing concoction. You know, when I was Mr. Nebraska, I was transformational year just because I was thrown into a leadership position where suddenly I was publicly significant. And that's a whole different word because there are ways that we can make ourselves significant that are in our control. When I reverse engineered why I was unhappy, Sarah, it was because I was called to impact people. So when I wasn't, it was uncomfortable because it's a part of my dang calling, yes. right? And right, I right, felt right. out of control that as a student at Belmont who wasn't getting all the awards and the accolades, I felt out of order. I was like, God, I know you sent me here. I'm not living my calling, but I didn't know how to communicate it in that way, right? right? So sometimes we process pain and we'll develop an eating disorder or well, some people it's addiction or just unhealthy habits, or we'll start condemning ourselves, our body image, whatever because God is speaking to us about our calling and it is uncomfortable that you're not doing it. And so it actually may not be about food at all. It's about purpose. And it it is uncomfortable to not be living in your purpose. And I think that's like a huge message I would encourage people with too, is like, it could be so much bigger and you could be blaming it on something when in reality, like give yourself some grace, girl. It is uncomfortable to not be living in your calling because God has called you to some awesome things and to affect the world. Once I discovered that, like a billion other things came into alignment for me. And I believe that I stepped into the person that I was called to be. Wow. So challenging and so impactful. So what I saw when you were talking about, you know, going back to saying the first step is really just saying, okay, we're just going to do this. It's just Mm -hmm. happening. Like it's changing. Today's the first day I have to get up. Yeah. What I saw was like, I've had moments of this where you feel like you're laying on a cement floor and you've hit the, you've hit rock bottom, rock bottom Mm -hmm. for you, whatever that is in whatever area of your life that is hit rock bottom. You're laying on the floor and you're like, okay, I have a couple options here. I can crawl my way through life and it can be hard, but I'll move. I'll get places. I can stay here. And I can just wait it out and probably be depressed, Hmm. probably not have anything change, probably not grow and just kind of have a little pity party and live where I'm at and just consider that my lot in life. Or like you said, I can use this cement floor as my launching pad and I can get up and I can start to move out of this, but getting up's the hardest part. It's actually making that decision. You're so right. And that 17 year year old girl had so much wisdom getting up is the hardest part of just Mm -hmm. saying, I have to actually get out of the fetal position, push myself off the floor, stand up and get moving. It's forward, which is goes along with this whole hope thing. If I'm going to hope again, it's forward moving. Hope Mm -hmm. has to move forward because if it stays still, the bottom's going to fall out. Yep. It just does. I love that you said that. And I love that you were talking about how the practicalities too of health. That's another thing we all you know, a lot of times we get so down on ourselves and we blame ourselves for any issues we have in our body. Like, oh, I used to have issues with gluten and dairy as well. And a lot of other food sensitivities. And if you don't know your food sensitivities, your body is not going to shift. Yep. It's just not going to do that. It's not a shape shifter. Like it, it's not going to do that unless you give it what it needs. Yeah. So for me, I always had, you know, some stuff I was uncomfortable with. And then I noticed that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I worked out, no matter how healthy I ate, healthy, quote unquote, healthy I ate, you know, what most people would consider the right things or good things, it, nothing was changing. And it had to do with the fact that I wasn't using the right tools because I didn't have the right framework. And sometimes that takes bringing other people in. And we talk about, you know, you turn to God and some of us who are Christians, that is our anchor. And some of us, we just need people around us, like your mom, to just come alongside of us and say, okay, I'm going to actually put your arm over my shoulder. I'm going to help you pull you up. But then after you're up, you're going to be able to walk forward by yourself. We just Sometimes we just need help with our own body weight to get up. Sometimes that means a doctor. Sometimes that means a nutritionist. Sometimes that means friends. And sometimes every time in my book, that means the Lord. Sometimes we just need to lean on him and be like, okay, so who am I again? What did you say? Because 
everything, every time I look in a mirror, I'm telling myself these and I'm hearing these accusatory words that don't come from you. So I need to be reminded of who you are. And that's part of this cultivating hope is we have to cultivate the reality that we want to live in. Essentially, we have to cultivate that. You can't just expect that the reality and the dreams that you have are going to come to fruition by being the same person that you're being. Something's got to give and you've got to change what you're hearing, what you're saying, what you're seeing, mm-hmm. who you're surrounded by. And it's going to be uncomfortable that that transition, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, it's uncomfortable when you're not doing the thing you're called to do, but it's also uncomfortable when you're in transition because mm-hmm. growth is painful. So talk a little bit about the pain of growth, because that's something that a lot of people listening, I feel to this episode who are struggling with body image are going to say, yeah, I want that. Of course I want that. But then you take a couple steps and it gets really hard and you're like, Ooh, this is harder than I thought. Mm. What would you say to them? Mm. A thousand things. Um, I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. I think that we have to take away any thought that growth isn't painful first. Yes. Because otherwise you're starting with a wrong framework and you're immediately going to be in self-sabotage and, self-doubt and toxic thinking that causes you to stay put right you know like if if we yeah if we think it's not going to be hard then the second it's hard we're going to quit so i think just accepting that it's a journey and it's a process um if you study one practical thing is i would read like autobiographies of successful people or listen to their podcasts or just get around people hearing their story And if you'll notice the things that you actually connect about them the most is their pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes you respect the payoff of whatever value they're now delivering to the world. So, um, you know, we, we take people through a framework framework at my company sales queen, where we help people discover their unique impact message. We help them kind of box their brilliance into an offer. And then we help them showcase it to the world through podcasts and, you know, different things. And sometimes actually oftentimes what I found in many years of business too, and just navigating life is that when we overcomplicate things, we just, we stop taking action. And so I try and make things really simple. Um, I think that Jesus tried to make things really simple. It's kind of like, have you ever heard somebody that has said like three or four words that just drop in your spirit and it like makes you chew on it for like years? Yes. You know, hundred percent. and you, then you get the person who walks in maybe, or maybe you're at a networking event and you have like an OG who's been doing what they're doing and you know, runs a $20 million company and they're the quietest person in the room. And then you got this young gun in the same industry that's running around handing out business cards and shoving their hand in people's faces and, you know, and just chatter, 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 no self-awareness, right? Right. Which, which one actually intrigues you more? Which one do you actually, are you more curious about? Do you want to talk to? Um, And so it's kind of that concept too. Like sometimes it, it doesn't have to be these crazy changes. It could start with just, you know, speaking over your food or, drinking a gallon of water a day or making like, are you actually getting enough sleep where you're regulating your hormones so that you have your best chance at the beginning of the day, you know, in terms of body image. Um, And then the other thing is, as I just believe in the power of mentorship, we're just not called to do life alone. And that's a massive expectation to put on yourself is to, you know, again, I just, I think in terms of business, that's how my brain works, but I'm like, I didn't get to where I am today. I didn't get to making a million dollars before I was 30 because I'm the smartest person in the world. I got there because every time I got stuck, I paid my way to the next answer. I paid my way to get in the room of the person that could help me so I could have relationship with them so that they could give me the wisdom and encourage me along the journey. Because the fact of the matter is I am going to get stuck. I am going to have terrible days where I'm crying to my husband because I just want to quit and or whatever, you know what I mean? Or I'm feeling fat and then I forget that I'm starting my period tomorrow and I'm like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> like this whole day is a wash. Everything's actually fine. You know, we have all been there. Oh my yeah. God. And I think mentors just help give you perspective and it really comes down to like, are you taking action? 
just try to win the day. It's not about winning, you know, the next 10 years, win the day. And then just making sure that you're not doing life alone to give you a proper perspective. I, you know, kind of one of my phraseologies I use a lot of my speeches is scope out and slow down. Like chances are, if you're freaking out, you have sped up a timeline where you feel like something needs to change now. And then you're looking right at it, like two inches away from your face, right? Scope out, slow down. Like, if you don't pay a dime and you just do those two things, it will probably help the situations that you can get out of fight or flight, get into your frontal lobe and start thinking like your, your ability to, like you are a smart person, you know, God's going to give you strategies. And so, um, yeah, simplicity and just a couple frameworks and then mentorship have really, really, really helped to get me out of some of my toughest situations. Wow. Mentorship is everything that is. I think a necessity for everybody, even mother stay at home moms, you need a, you need a mother mentor. You do. If you don't have a mother around or a mother-in-law around that you can lean on, find somebody, find someone older business. Like you said, business mentorships, spiritual mentors, all of that. We need it all because you'll find the most successful people, the people who are, and I use success lightly. I'm not, when we say success, we're not talking for everyone listening. We're not talking just the people who are successful as in she was talking about like public significance. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about success in your own life to where you feel like you're winning at life every day. Like you wake up and you're like, I'm good. I'm winning today. I've got peace in my spirit. I feel great. I feel like I'm accomplishing my purpose, whatever that purpose is. Mm -hmm. So no matter what your purpose is or whatever you feel called to in significance, whether it's public or private significance, either way, you can use a mentor and the people that are the most successful at their significant purpose, whatever that yep. is, yep. have mentors and have people that are building into them and mm-hmm. have moments of, and seasons, and sometimes even years mm-hmm. of transition where it's painful and it's not comfortable and you have to lean into the discomfort and just say, yep, it's going to suck for a while. My, yeah. my husband and I have a family motto where we say a short time of hard for a lifetime of freedom. Amen. That has been it's been true in every area of our life. Sometimes you got to buckle down and just do the thing because freedom's ahead and you can see it. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, sometimes we overcomplicate things, but if you've ever read the book, um, was it the next right or the next, yet my next best yes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Or the next yeah. right thing. Well, that's Anna and Elsa, the next, just do the next right thing. Yeah. Um, but truly you can tell my mom, the next right thing sometimes <laughs> is just the most simple thing in the world and we overcomplicate it and we try to do 10 things at once and we're like oh the next right thing has to be this big thing and sometimes it's the most simple of just Mm -hmm. you know like for me in the season i'm in right now i want to do 20 things that's just i'm i'm like you girl i am like a hustler at heart i have my hands in 10 baskets at one time because that is how i feel like i'm driving a life i just love it and i don't like to chill out. But then I have friends who are like, I'm just overwhelmed by my kids right now. And just my, my life in this season of having young kids. And I'm like, and that is so valid. That is so valid that you're yeah. calling, you know, I have friends that are like, I, my calling in life is to be a mother. That is my purpose. Yep. I'm not going to mother my kids. And when my kids are in my house, I'm going to mother other people's kids and I'm a mother, everybody. I just want a mother. And I'm like, you do it and you do it to the best of your ability. Then I hope you have an aunt, an un- like an aunt, a grandmother, a sister, like all these people around you, all different ages, just pouring into you to be like, this is, yep. this is going to help you at this age. And this is going to help you at this stage. And mm-hmm. I've got wisdom from, from this age and in this situation. And I think that for us who like you and I, people who are hustlers, we mm-hmm. tend to want to do 20 things at once, but the next right thing, when we complicate it ends up being about our control and less mm-hmm. about who we are and living out of our identity. And it's more about living out of this facade and this image of what we want to be. So let's talk a little bit about our image according to God. Like mm-hmm. how do you speak to yourself and how do you talk to God to start to switch that inner dialogue? If I'm being really honest, I think it actually starts with talking to God. I think a lot of people think they're talking to God, but you're really not actually having conversation and you don't know him, at least in that respect. Like I said, I I, I knew the Lord and I love the Lord, but I didn't know him in that area. And that was the area that needed help. And so I stayed the same. Dialogue is 
vulnerable and it's a sign of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it starts with breaking down every wall and being like, okay, God, I actually am going to allow you to speak to this part of me. The second thing that I know that I did, um, and I'm sometimes I go so fast. I'm such a fast person. I'm like, what did I actually do? Um, but the second thing that I did was I, I think I accepted that like God wanted to speak into this area and that he would speak to me with love and he'd speak to me as a father. He wouldn't speak to me as the God of judgment, because if that mindset is wrong, like I'm not going to nobody about anything. You know, if I just think I'm going to be judged, like I'm closed up, my walls are up, like nothing's changing. Right. Right. And unfortunately, like sometimes people have bad, have had bad spiritual leaders, elders, coaches, fathers, you know, people in their lives where they allowed somebody to speak into their life from a positioning of trust. And then that was betrayed. Right. And now that's that person's version of God's voice too. Right. right? And that's happened to me that I had to work that out. So God is God. He's not anybody else. Nobody else is God. Even people who speak for God are still not God. So go back to the word of what he says. So like, you know, the classic phrase, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, like that really ticked me off for a season. Cause like, I wasn't having it. And I was just like, I don't feel fearfully and wonderfully made, you know? And, but you know what, like God even embraces those emotions. And once I was real to be like, God, I'm like ticked off right now. And I, that's where it started. I'd just be like, God, I hate myself. Like, why'd you make me this way? Why didn't you make me the super skinny girl who could wear Lululemons and shop at regular clothing stores that didn't have to special order for my giant long legs? And why did you make me tall? And why did you make me this, you know? Right. And I just started actually having dialogue. And I think if I'm honest, um, I think people also put God in a box in terms of like, I have to feel, I have to figure out my identity or my image at church or at a youth group or at a women's group or whatever. And I'm like, yo, you can literally turn on a worship song. And like, for me, I have to get like, it's total surrender for me. Like usually it is slowing the heck down for like five minutes and laying on the floor. Like we call it eating carpet where I'm from. And I come from like, you know, just really charismatic circles where people are doing crazy stuff all the time. But um, yeah. And so I'm like, no, you probably just need to eat carpet. Like you probably need to actually shut up and just like get real and like cry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that is for me. Like I need to go back to zero because what I'm doing is not working. And um, when I do that, like seriously, the, the love of God will just like hit me in such a way, like God might bring a song to my to my spirit and I'll just like play the song and I'll just literally lock myself in a room, turn the lights off and eat carpet. And and it's crazy, Sarah, because like I will have been dealing with this thing for months or a season or a really long time. And when I'm actually obedient for like five minutes and I just eat carpet, God will like fix it in such a short time. And I'm just like, I literally went around this mountain 17 times and God's like, here's the exit. Like, just take the exit. This is the way to go, you know, like the children of Israel. And so, so yeah, I think like surrender is a huge part of it. Understanding that God is an approachable God who can handle your emotions because he created them in the first place. Yes. You know, Jesus got angry. Jesus wept. Jesus was happy. Like, I think that we've kind of like whitewashed God too, to think that he's like soft and I'm like, he's not, he's literally not. So I think when we break down kind of that wall wall a little bit we can just be real and we don't have to just go to god in this religious legalistic manner i'm like yo he's your father like relationship you know you wouldn't go to your husband and just be like hello you know for me <laughs> landon almighty landon can we please have a conversation and then i just pretend yeah. like that's not relationship and that's really weird so yeah. you don't have to do that with god like just be yourself and he will lift you up. He never goes back on his promises. And he's a good God who wants to give good, give good gifts to his children. And he's promised us, you know, sozo wholeness to, to restore. Um, it's one of his names, you know, and the mender of the breach. And so I think it's an exciting journey to try and know God in all the different names of who he is, you know, wonderful counselor, financial provider, healer, friend, you know, all those different things. So that's kind of a fun exercise that I go down sometimes as well as like, who do I need to know Jesus as? Like, what name do I feel like I need to know him for in this season to get through and to thrive? That was a long-winded answer, but no, that's great. Anyways.
That was so good. I think it's really important that we know who God is, because if we know his identity and we understand that we're made in his image in, in the image of God, and he wants those, he wants those things for us. That's mm-hmm. what, I mean, he created us to be the recipients of all of him, not just mm-hmm. pieces of him, not just to be the recipients of like, just his love. Mm-hmm. Yes, God is love. God is love. Like, we're not just receiving. He is love. And I think a lot of times we just think like, oh, love is the gift that he gives me. And he loved me so much he died. And now mm-hmm. I just need to love him back. And that's it. Like, and, and that's our exchange. That's the entirety of our exchange. He's mm-hmm. like, no, because I love you, you have access. You have yeah. access to all of me, not just this, you know, this piece of my character, this piece of my essence that I'm just love here and incarnate. Like I, I am love. I am provision. I am your peace. I am your everything. All of those things, when we know and we can be confident that that is who our God is and that mm. and of his relationship to us and what that means for us, then we can slip into the, oh, so that means I am an heir. That mm-hmm. means I am significant. Mm-hmm. And when we realize who God is and who we are in relationship to him, we can realize our significance and what's inside of us, mm-hmm. which I, when we are having times of trouble where we're standing in the mirror and ha- these thoughts start to come in, that's when we can take authority mm-hmm. and realize that we have authority over that. And we can speak to it. Like you yeah. said, use your words Yeah. say, Hey, stupid one, get out. Yeah. One, you're a yeah. liar. I yeah. am going to combat those exact lies. You know, sometimes I've had to pick out specific lies, you know, yes, but you're not as good as them. I am as good as them. I am as good as them. I was created for incredible success. I was created for purpose. I was created for relationship. I'm not as fun as that person. I am freaking fun. <laughs> okay. Like sometimes you just have to flip it on its head and speak those things out loud. And the significance of speaking them out loud and not just in your head. hundred percent. Because so many times the attack comes within our head. And when we take authority over it and we use what God used to bring things to life, it can actually, even if it comes out of our mouth and we don't believe it yet, if you start yes. saying it, it can plant a seed and it will start to take root. It just will. It just mm-hmm. will. It will come mm-hmm. to be. So yeah, I just want to encourage all of you, if you're going through a season where you are just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know how I feel about myself, but I know it's not great. And I don't know how to get out of here. Just start with, flipping those words on their head and then go to the creator of who you are, the creator who gave you everything that makes up your significance Mm. and ask him what's significant about you. And he will tell you, I promise he will tell you. Megan, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is for those who are in that season right now, do you have any scripture or quote or anything that got you through that season or something? Maybe you look back on hindsight 2020 and are like, this would have helped me so much. This piece, this little nugget, what nugget can you offer for them to hang on to? Maybe right on their mirror. Um, I do want to say that I, I, I totally believe in the power of speaking. Like faith is voice activated. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why the devil tries to come against your voice in every aspect, every aspect. And especially as women, um, because we have a special power to turn the heads of people. We aren't the head, but like, you know, my big fat Greek wedding says we're the neck. Like we really <laughs> do have that superpower yeah. to incline people's ear to what we're saying. And so for me, like, if I'm just being totally honest, I'm not really like a mere affirmations person because my brain, like I'm such a deep thinker that like my brain actually immediately rejects that. And so, um, for some people that really works for them. Um, but maybe you're something like me, maybe that's why I'm on the podcast today and you need like just something a little bit deeper. Like, I think that that's where mentorship and accountability come in. Um, I think when we go through our hardest seasons, we hide and maybe, maybe you're in a season right now where you're living in a small town or you're the only Christian at your university, or you just feel totally alone. Like there are online resources, you know, maybe Sarah's community here, even just in the podcast, like like be an active participant in your healing and your growth, yeah. even when you feel like a zero, like what is one thing that you can do to make sure that you are around people that can remind you of who you are, that can lift you up, that can encourage you because um, I'm going to get really nerdy here. Okay. So Good. We love like, 
So first Thessalonians five says that we're a triune being, we're a spirit, soul, and body, right? So I think of it like I was explaining this at 2 a.m. to two of my interns who is <laughs> God like totally showed up in my living room at school on Saturday nights, why I'm super tired and got no sleep. And I was explaining the triune being to pageant girls at two in the morning. It was awesome. Yes. And um, I think of it like if you have two glasses of water, right? And so we have a spirit man, we have a soul, which is mind, will, and emotions. And then we have the flesh, which is the body or earth too. That's what stays here. Your spirit goes to heaven, right? So we want to, when we pour into our spirit, then it affects the soul, which is in the middle. And then it affects the flesh. It reduces temptation. It strengthens our ability to go against what the flesh wants. And then the opposite is also true. When we pour into the flesh, you know, trashy TV, negative people around us, what we look at, what whatever we perceive through our five senses is how the flesh operates, right? What we speak, what comes out of our mouth, if we give in to things. And, and again, I'm not judging you, condemning you. We've all screwed up a million times. But what it's doing is the flesh always wants to be fed, right? It's this ravenous monster. So when we feed that, then it affects our soul. What is our soul? Mind, will, and emotions. That literally is like, if you've seen Inside Out, that's where yes. the decisions are made. It's the will. So if some, you know, where Paul talks about like in Romans 7, he's like, I did this, but I wanted to do this. And then I feel like doing this. And he's, it's literally like this battle of like, like you can tell he's condemning himself of like, oh, like I'm just, I'm having a human moment. And then Romans 8, 1 says, well, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, right? That's because he was having that conversation with himself. And so I think like, again, I like to make things really simple. I'm like, okay, if you just analyze your last week, if you analyze your last life or your last week of your life, I think our brains tell us, why do I feel so depressed? Man, this is just a mystery. Why do I feel, you know, why is this happening? But if you actually analyze and put it in black and white, you can look back, oh, you saw that scary movie. And then you hung out with that friend that gossips all the time. And then your teacher said something really mean to you that, that triggered something that made you feel a certain way that, you know, and then you beat yourself up about it for the next whatever. Or maybe you went out in an audition and you didn't get the part, right? Maybe you had a week where you did not fill your spirit up enough to handle the things that were just happening in your world. So of course, girl, like you're empty, you know, like yeah. give yourself some grace. Like the formula that you put in gives you the equation, you know, that happens yeah. and oftentimes. And so like I, my message is that you actually have more control than you think that you do. Like you can't have too much of Jesus, like pour more, you know, there are awesome, even faith-based apps. Like my church has one OBTV, like where you can listen to faith-based programming 24 seven, like as much of, as much as you want to fill up, if you feel like you're in a totally empty season, like go listen to every single episode of Sarah's podcast on repeat. And I promise you'll feel better. Like you just will, you know? And, and I want to encourage people that like, you're not a tree, you're not stuck. You're not a tree. Like you're a human, you have legs and arms. And then the last piece of that too, is like, I believe that God, when, when we carry God heart, God's heart, we have hearts of, we develop hearts of gratitude, right? So one thing that my husband and I do, and I used to be like, oh, gratitude journals are so stupid. Like this is, <laughs> I'm so above this. Great and time. I still don't, I don't do a gratitude journal because I can't slow down that, you know, to do that. Um, but what my husband and I do is every morning before we get out of bed, we pray. And then we thank God for just like, you know, we are one of our things that we make, you know, jokes, not jokes about, but like we laugh about, but we're really serious about it is like, you know what, Sarah, like you woke up with arms and legs today. Yeah. Like if, if Landon's complaining about something, I'll be like, Landon, you have arms and legs. And it literally like snaps him into a reality of like, what am I doing? Like, why am I complaining? You know? And we'll, we'll shift that atmosphere with our words and be like, okay, you know what? We need to like spend five seconds and just say what we're grateful for, but you have the power to do that. And I think so often Christians just like play defense their entire life. When I'm like, girl, like you have authority. Like God said, you can speak to this mountain and it will move. And I know you probably don't believe that, but like, can you believe one, one hundredth of that, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and so, um, I know, you know, God's in control ultimately, but he's given us tools in our toolbox. And the more that we get in the word and we understand him, we can demystify the way that things work to understand that we are the head and not the tail as Christians. And that you can be on the offense in your life, even as you go through really tough seasons, because the word is what sustains you. So you owe it to yourself to make sure that you're pouring into your spirit enough to where you have enough gas to drive the length that you need to drive for that day, you know? Right. Um, and I just, the last thing that I want to say is I just want to speak to anybody that feels like, 
you're in a caretaker role right now, or maybe you're a mama. Um, you know, I have several clients that are moms or that are school teachers or, or both at the same time. And they know that they, they have a message on the inside of themselves. Maybe their husband works, maybe their husband even makes a fantastic income, but they just feel like they're in a season where they're like, man, who am I? Like, am I, am I just a mom, which there's no such thing as the most important job ever. Um, but you know, I think a lot of times if, if you feel like you have this inner like yearning on the inside of you to make a difference and make an impact, like listen to that because you don't have to choose between just being a mom or just being a business owner or whatever, right? Like if God has called you on the inside of you, maybe you'll make a million dollars doing that. Or maybe you'll just start doing Facebook lives and people, you know, or, or you start journaling like on Facebook, some of the things that you're learning and you're just, you just want to help other people that are like your Facebook friends to like give them encouragement, you know, but like there, what I love about the, the world now is that there's so many outlets and opportunities for us to use our voice. You get to choose, you know, how big or how small, but I believe that that is God's heart. Like, you know, rounding at that point, like, you know, if God's stirring you, like take action, just, just do it. Like, because there are sheep out there that are designated to you as their shepherd, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, there are sheep out there that are going to be transformed that are in a hurting season. And your voice is what unlocks the key to their freedom. And I know that maybe your identity is not telling you that you're good enough to do that, but God uses the least of these. God used the most like random people, David, right. Or whatever. I was just in Israel standing where David slew Goliath. And, you know, we were just thinking about that where it's like this little redheaded shepherd boy who just like sang songs all the time, killed a nine foot giant, you know? Um, so anyways, I'm going to start preaching. I will end there, but that is my encouragement for people. Yeah. I love it. You keep (laughs) preaching. You can always preach on here. We're all, we're a preaching podcast in a lot of ways. We won't shove it down your throat, but we'll put it in front of you and you can touch it if you want, but it's there. Megan, I love what you said about how everybody has significance within them and everybody has sheep that they're called to shepherd. That's so important. And right now to the mothers, because I know that's a really, it feels like a quiet season, even though it's not quiet, it's chaos, but it Mm -hmm. feels like a season where you're like, you don't get to use your voice a lot besides to your children. Well, they're your sheep right now. Those are your built-in sheep. Like the Lord literally gave you disciples in your house Mm. to practice on while you're in that season. You know, if if you're not called to go out of that at the moment, you'll know, you'll know if that is taking all of your attention right now and all of your energy, that is a good work. You're, you are significant in your household. You are significant in the kingdom of God. And that significance is going to go out into the world and cause ripple effects. And that's important. So I just want to remind you of that. If you're somebody that feels called to more, if you, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're like, oh my gosh, I just feel like I need to be doing other things like me. That's just my life. You know, I want to do all the things at one time. Take the first step, start one thing and see how that goes and say, okay, God, what do you want to do? I'm just going to say, yes, whatever you want to do with me, whatever you want me to tackle next, I'm going to choose one thing and I'm going to start that. We'll see how that goes. And if he blesses it, you'll know that's, that's the right thing. And you just keep going with that. And maybe you can try something else and that'll grow, but God gives us grace for all of these seasons. You know, there's grace in everything. And I think we need to have grace with ourselves, just like you said. Um, no matter what season you're in, whether you're on the floor, the cement floor, like we talked about, and you feel like you're at rock bottom or whether you're in a quiet season momming and, you know, you have this picture of yourself like, oh, I'm just kind of inside my house and no one sees me except my, these little kids. And what's that going to, you know, they don't even listen to me anyway. And then, (laughs) you know, there's these other women who are like out here and they're killing it. You know, like some may look at you and be like, man, she's just killing it. She's running businesses. She's She's walking in her calling. She's speaking. She's using her voice. Guys, it's not one, two, or three. You can be on any part of that spectrum and be Mm. significant. You can be anywhere that you can be a single young girl and not know what's next in life. Be, you know, graduating from high school and saying, I don't even know if I want to go to college. I don't know what I want to do. I'm not a mom yet. I don't run a business. I don't do anything. I don't know my significance. Mm -hmm. And there's still a space for you to use your voice. There's still something important that's inside of you that God wants to cultivate through you and the world and, and create a space for you to use that voice. Because I think it's so important that you drew out, you know, the voices of the women in scripture, like God chose a woman to share first about his rising and his resurrection yes. when they weren't believed for anything. 
yeah. ever. Like culturally, women were like dirt. They were property. They were they were a house. They were a deed. And mm. so for us now to have the freedoms that we do and for for God to have given that significance to that woman and given the significance, you know, even to Mary to carry the son of God, you know, there mm. is so much significance in the voice of a woman. So if you feel like you're in a quiet season right now, I just want to challenge you to have that dialogue with God and let him tell you what that voice is going to sound like. Let him cultivate your voice while you're in that season. Work that out. Journal, read, whatever that is for you. Write write stuff down. Writing is like so underrated. I still use journals. I'm a weirdo. Like notebook. Like I'm talking like college ruled spiral notebooks. That's what I write in. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'm just old school. I don't like to type things out until later. So yeah. I just want to encourage you that journaling is a really, really great thing. And I love that you said you and your husband do a little bit of that too. That's so cool. So to close us out, I just want to ask you, because this is so important that we all have a mentor and someone we look up to and someone that we're, we would take something from someone that mm -hmm. we esteem so highly that is so significant to us that we're like, I would take what you have right there. You've developed that so well. I would take that in my own life. So hope, who's your hope hero? Who would you take a little bit of their hope? Hmm. Oh gosh. There, there are a lot. Um, you know, you and I talked about real talk Kim before this and yeah. a really cool story said in about 10 seconds. Um, a couple of years ago I was, I was competing for Miss USA. I was getting ready and it was the height of the pandemic. Everything was shut down and I was healing from some trauma that had happened to me all at once, all while, you know, everything looked shiny and perfect on the outside as Mr. Brasky would say. And there were, there were great things about that season too, you know, but that's another like fallacy. I want to just encourage people like you can be in a great season in half your life. And then the other half like sucks, you know, you could be killing yes. it, fine, but your relationships are broken or you could be, you could have like the best partner in the world, but you guys are just walking through a financial struggle, you know? And so it's like, everything is not just like all or nothing, you know? And so anyways, um, uh, real talk, Kim, who's an online pastor or you know, she's a pastor. She's uh, also an online influencer. She's amazing. Um, she was one of the first people, she and Nicole Crank were the first two pastors. Um, Joyce Meyer too. Yeah. She, you know, she's an OG, but like they were fiery and mm -hmm. they had something to them where I was like, thank you for not just being a silent pastor's wife, you know, like, yeah. cause I grew up as a PK, like, mm -hmm. and my mom's this bold, fierce woman. But like I said, I, I always felt like I was just a square peg in a round hole. So anyways, um, I made a decision. I made up my mind. I had a podcast for three, four years. And I was like, dude, like my like 10 year goal is to have Real Talk Kim my podcast. And so anyways, um, I think like a, a ninja, like my brain just thinks like marketing sales, you know, business. And I was like, I'm going to make it happen. And so to make a very long story short, without boring people with all the secrets of how I did that within three hours, um, she personally emailed me back and was on my podcast. It, yeah. And anyway, so I had her on a couple weeks later, we talked for like two hours. And then at the end of it, she looked at me and said, baby girl, you have the same call on my, on your life that I have on mine. Here's my phone number. And, um, and so sometimes a, a life changing connection is on the other end of one simple decision. Right. And, you know, of course, as I'm like making this happen, I'm like, totally gonna say no I have a podcast that reaches pageant people like it's not even in her niche you know at the time right and there are a million reasons to always count yourself out but are you gonna be an optimist or a pessimist are you gonna be full of hope or are you gonna be full of you know uh just somebody that's like well I'll never you know yeah because that opportunity that door didn't open itself you know right. we kind of talked beginning so yeah so real talk kim's a huge mentor um and, and personal mentor for me um pastor nicole crank is a mentor and then i just look up to people like lisa bevere and joyce meyer because they just like tell it like it is you know and i think that from a global perspective i think that young people are looking for the real and they're really tired of the religious bs and they they can kind of sniff through it so if somebody is just they they can quote 55 scriptures but you know that they're not actually full of the love of god like that's cool for you but it doesn't actually produce fruit and it's going to fail <laughs> and i've seen it fail because yeah I've been in a lot of situations you know and so um you know, you, God is an amazing call in your life, whoever's listening to this, and you will have a unique impact. And, and 
if you have no idea what the next step is, like get on your face, eat some carpet, you know, not literally, please. And I promise you, God will not leave you hanging. You might have a little tiny inkling. It might come as a thought and impression, but God will share with you the next step. And I just wanted to close with this, you know, Sarah, I think about you and we didn't know each other too well in college, but let's look at your life now, you know, 10 years later or whatever it is. And I'm like, I could bet that when you were in your sorority, you were doing your thing as a music student. If you were in a group of girls, you were probably still pouring into them. You were always you, but you know, it might be manifesting later. Like I know if I was in a group of girls, I was always the one giving advice. I was always the one just mothering people or being helpful, whatever. Right. Cause that's yeah. always who I've been, right. but I I had to let God show me who I was where then that actually was like activated. Right. So for the person listening, like there are probably already signs of ways that you do things, ways that you think things that you're already inclined to. Mm -hmm. And those are clues that could be a part of your purpose. Right. But you don't have to know it all right now. Like just when God does tell you something, be obedient because that opens the door to amazing next steps and, and, you know, million dollar businesses or big impact, mm-hmm. or you being the mom that everybody talks about on the block. Cause you've got four kids who actually listen to you. That <laughs> starts with one tiny act of obedience after another and after another. And it's all the boring stuff. Like I hate to break it to you, but it's all the boring stuff when ain't nobody patting you on the back and you've got three followers on Instagram yep. and you're showing up for your podcast when 10 people are listening to every episode And you know what? God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now I can trust you with more. So good. So good. I'm so encouraged. I am so challenged. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Megan. I know everybody who is listening is just going to love you. Everyone go follow Megan on Instagram. Go check out her website. Check out her services. She is an incredible mentor. I can tell you from just watching her, from knowing her over the years, she is a powerhouse in herself. She also does pageantry, but she's a powerhouse. And so you need to go check her out. Megan, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast and talking about so vulnerably and sharing your story about body image and also just challenging us and not being afraid to speak life back into some of us who are just laying on the, the. Isn't she just amazing? I'm so thankful for women like her that use their voice every day to stir up the God-given gifts in others. If you're someone who feels like they're on the cement floor today, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone who you trust to help take that first step. Healing is possible and there is purpose ahead in every step. I'm so excited for next week. We're going to be hearing from an old friend of mine, Robbie, who is going to share his story of how he found hope in the midst of a prison cell. You don't want to miss it, but until then, y'all know the drill. Don't lose hope.